While it may be easy, we must control our urge to judge others because when we do, we are putting ourselves in a position to be judged by God to the same degree. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ, and thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, Not Judging, Rather Discernment and Self-Reflection, taken from Matthew 7, 1-5, a section in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. My hope with this sermon is that we will learn how to properly assess ourselves and others and see who we are while allowing others the space needed to be themselves, recognizing where they're right and wrong, but leaving the judgment of that person to God. The news kind of makes us judgmental. And I think it's set up like that by nature. And I'm not trying to take no sides, no political bends in the sermon. But what I do want to do is highlight a point that the world kind of forces upon us. And if we're not mindful, we'll just adopt their ideology, which is looking at those who are different from us and automatically judging them and making assessments about them, overlooking our own lives. It's easy to do. It's comfortable because what it requires is that one doesn't even have to look at their self. It's easy because the way that our eyes are set up is to see everything before us and not within us. So unless I encounter a reflective surface, I will never know what my face looks like. And if I have something that's disarrayed about me, I am upon the mercy of my fellow human beings to let me know. And sometimes my wife does this too much. You have crumbs in your beard. There's something in your eye. All things that I can't see on my own, but another person can. And being that they can see it, it kind of jumps out and it's bigger than life. And for me, it doesn't bother me. But for them, it's, I, I just have to get that off. I have to tell you about that. I have to express myself about your condition while overlooking my own. And as we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount, we have had Jesus give us these standards of life for those who would follow him. And in giving us these standards and giving us these ways we're to be, he has juxtaposed them against hypocrites, which were the Jews who didn't live up to the religious standard that they professed to follow. And pagans or Gentiles, which were people who didn't know God. And in utilizing these groups of people to highlight what we should not be like, it kind of makes them an easy target to see things that they do that's wrong while overlooking what the perceived listener of the Sermon on the Mount would see in themselves. But we know that Jesus 
was a righteous man, that he had no problem in presenting truth to anybody. So in keeping truth to form, he did not overlook the fact that he was talking to people who had the potential to make themselves self-righteous by judging themselves against the hypocrites or the pagans. And so as we come to the seventh chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, we have these five verses that cause reflection upon self as one gets towards the end of this sermon. And this is what Jesus says. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Judgment. Rendering a verdict usually of condemnation on somebody else as if you have authority over them and can put them under some type of punishment. It's important to notice that Jesus is not saying do not discern because throughout this sermon, he has been discerning between what's right and what's wrong. And he has been calling those who are listening to his sermon to make a decision and to follow the path of the righteous because there's also a wicked way which people are living. And if we're not mindful of the fact, then we could be led astray with them. So he highlights the hypocrite. He highlights the pagan because they do things that appear to be right, but it's wrong. So praying in front of everybody. You don't want to do that. Long <clears throat> prayers that are just vain words. You don't want to do that. And Jesus is not saying don't discern between right and wrong, but don't judge them. Because God's going to judge them. I'm going to judge them. What I want you to do is to recognize the wrong, see who's doing it, and let God be God. Because when you start judging people, what you really are going to do is you are going to judge yourself. You see, last week we talked about how there was some type of reciprocity with how we relate to God. So it was highlighted in the Sermon on the Mount's prayer that if you forgive, God will forgive you. Now what Jesus is saying in almost the negative sense is that if you judge You will be judged as well with the same measure you judge. And what's interesting is he doesn't say on the same thing you judge about, which we wish that would be the case. 
We wish that we could notice the wrong in the person that they do that we don't and that that's what we're judged on. But such is not the case. What Jesus says is the measure to the degree to how tough you are in your judgment of what they are doing that is wrong, especially in your eyes, that is the same standard that God's going to use on you. Now, if a person heard this correctly, one would be very hesitant to judge anybody. Because we already recognize that the measure of forgiveness that I demonstrate is going to be determinant of the measure of forgiveness that I receive. So now the measure of judgment that I give is going to determine the amount of Judgment placed on me? Oh, we don't want that. What we want is mercy. What we want is grace. What we want is God to forget a few things that we have done that was wrong. So we do that. And we see the wrong. We don't participate with the wrong. We acknowledge the people that do the wrong, but we do not judge them. Because we're told later in scripture that a person who breaks one part of the law has broken all of the law. And so if if, if that is the standard by which we're judged, that one equals the totality of the law. We don't want to put ourselves in positions to where we're looking down on others, to where we're condemning others, to where we are assessing and determining a person's eternal salvation based upon our observation because of what we see. Because we know that we sin as well. We know that we have faults. And that the same measure in which we give to somebody else, God will give to us. And if we think about just this this act of judging, we recognize that we're not the appropriate people to judge anyway. Because what does he say? Why do you notice the speck in your neighbor's eye but not the log in your eye. When you read that, you're like, Jesus has a sense of humor. He's digging at them, and he's, he, he's, but he's making a point. Sometimes what's blocking our view is so big that the little bit that we see, we magnify. Have you ever just come across a person and and it was just something about them that you didn't like. And it just was maybe a laugh or something insignificant. And it just got on your nerves. It just bothered you to a degree to where it just caused you to feel a certain way every time you was around them. And then when you later introspected, you realize it wasn't the laugh that was bothering you. It was the fact that the laugh reminded you of something else that was a greater problem. And so that small little thing 
became a great deal. And the only reason why it was a great deal is because you had this unrecognized big problem that you never dealt with. The log in your eye doesn't allow you to properly assess the speck in somebody else's eye. So what does Jesus say do? Don't worry about their speck until you take out your log. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't even say leave their speck there. He says don't worry about their speck until you take out your log. You see, that requires some level of discernment, but first you must do self-reflection to get yourself to where God would have you to be so you can help somebody else. Because the whole point is being a people that live righteous, that can lead other people to a righteous path. So we have to learn to discern. We have to learn to be able to recognize wrong when we see it. But it first must start with ourselves. Because if we don't work on ourselves first, then the problems that we see in others, we're not going to evaluate them properly. But when we do work on ourselves, the faults that we find in others, we will be able to properly assist them with removing it. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. So there's a question that naturally arises from this. How can I differentiate from judging and discerning. Because everything in this world will cause me to be a judge. Everything in this world will cause me to naturally be inclined to see things that are wrong and to take a stand against it, no matter if I'm wrong or right on how I take that stand. You see, on some level, we must learn to detach ourselves from issues. We must learn to recognize what's going on, see the right and see the wrong and acknowledge it and let that be that. Because what happens sometimes when we start to judge, we conflate the person with the situation, with the incident, and we make the sinner and the person one and the same when that is never the case. You see, when we discern properly, we recognize that the people are separate from their actions. So as Jesus is preaching this sermon and he talks about these hypocrites, these Pharisees who put these standards on others that they don't live up to themselves. The only reason why he calls them hypocrites is because of their actions. Not because that is an essential quality of their being. And so what God does is he judges a person based upon their actions, which we really are not equipped to do. 
Because what God is doing is judging our hearts. He's looking into the innermost being of a man, which we will never be able to see. And so while we can see actions, it behooves us to learn to separate the people from the actions. So that way we can interact with people in this world with mercy, with love, with kindness, forgiving them so that we will be receptive of the very things that we put out in this world from God. Because we do not want God to judge us like some people judge others. And I say that hoping that nobody in this room is really judging people to that degree. But we have to be honest and look inside our hearts and we know that as we judge others, God is judging us. But a way that we can maybe stop doing it as much until we cease in the judging is learn to separate the person from their act. Simple example. We've all interacted with kids. And sometimes kids don't listen. And I'm talking about kids that you know, that you love, that you have some concern with, maybe a family member. And they do things that we recognize as childish. They might talk back. They might run through the house. They might accidentally break something that belongs to you because they're just being a kid. But because we love them, because we understand where they are in life, we don't condemn them forever. Even sometimes when we say that's a bad kid. If we have seen them matriculate through life and get older, we at times come to recognize that that's the favorite person out of the bunch that they grew up with. (laughs) Something about them caused us to be endeared to them through all of their childish, stubborn, foolish ways. Almost like how God is for us. Because we recognize that there was times that we knew to do right by God and we didn't. There was times that we knew to do better. We knew to stop doing the thing. And we heard God, we saw his word, and we recognized that Jesus came to give us a better path, a better way, and yet we still were disobedient because we still were doing what we wanted to do. And God gave us grace. And God gave us mercy. And God separated the things we were doing from us. And that ultimate separation came through with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so God is not judging us based upon what we did. But he's judging us based upon who we are. His creation. The very church that he's called together to him in Christ. By the blood that purchased us. And when we see all people able to receive that same salvation, have that same mercy given to them by God, then it should cause us to pause on condemning them because of the very things that they do. 
Because we still live in a world that's very divisive. It's a us against them. It's a me against you. It's a I against everything else. And I condemn what I don't understand, what I don't like, or what's different from me. But that's not what God is calling us to. And so as Christians, a good way not to judge is to learn to separate the person from the thing that they do. Because that's what God did for us in Christ Jesus. And when you do that, you find yourself extending grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness to people who might not be just like you are. And that puts you in a godlike category. That makes you kind of righteous, not self-righteous, but a godly righteousness in which he wants us to reflect into this world. And as we do that, it leads us to verse 3. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Which pulls up a question. What are we really looking for? Last week we talked about focused, and, and, and we kind of ended that we need to focus on heavenly things, not earthly things. But this week, subcontext for this sermon is what are we looking at? Because it's very easy to look out into the world and to see others and to see the wrong they're doing and to, to, to make judgments on them. But it's a very intentional act to look at yourself because one must find a reflective surface so you can see yourself and not anything else. And the most common one we have is a mirror. And metaphorically, the mirror that we are to be looking at ourselves in is Scripture. You see, when we're looking at Scripture to try to find ourselves in it, we don't have time to look at everybody else and to see their flaws. Because we start to see that our flaws are bigger than we like to acknowledge. And, and what makes that even more real is, we know what's wrong with us on an individual level that only God and us know. And while somebody else might see it and see it's a, a problem, when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that that problem is even bigger than people think. And that's something that we must work on and nobody else can work on for us. And while we're doing that, it makes it very difficult to see anybody else. Has anybody ever driven while looking in the mirror? Very hard. You're trying to fix your face and still drive. You almost have an accident. Why? Because you're so focused on the reflection that's coming to you that nothing else matters no matter what you're doing. And that's how we're supposed to be in life. When we reflect on ourselves, when we look to scripture, when we see what God is calling us to, and then we analyze 
who we are and what we're doing, we don't have time to see everybody else and their flaws. Because we already know that people are flawed. That's why Jesus had to come. We already know that we're supposed to be a forgiving people because that's to the measure of forgiveness that we get. So we forgive those who offend us. And we're told that we're not to judge, so we don't judge. We recognize the wrong, but we focus on ourselves so that we can get rid of those things that hinder us from being who God wants us to be in Jesus Christ. And that takes a lot of intention. That takes a lot of self-reflection. And the only way that we could properly reflect on self is through God's mirror. Because if we utilize our own mirrors, we're perfect. (laughs) We have a justification for every flaw that we have. So I'll just take myself for example. I got a cut on my hand. Oh, I got that because a light fell and it cut me. It's not supposed to be there, but that's what happened. And it's a imperfection, some may say, on my hand. But I know how it got there. I know why it's there. So it's nothing wrong with that. And we could do that with a bunch of things. We could do that with sins in our lives. We could do that with the way we treat others. Oh, I got a reason why. That's, I was raised like that. That's what my mother, that's what my father taught me. That's what life showed me I had to be. And I have a justification to why I am the way I am. So as I look at myself based upon my own assessment, I'm perfect. But when I utilize scripture, when I hold myself up to Jesus... I see that those imperfections is the reason that I need Christ's blood, the reason that he died so that I can be afforded this salvation so I could live eternally with him in heaven. And I start to mold myself after him. I pattern my life after Jesus. I get rid of those things that are of the flesh so I could put on things of the spirit, but I can only see that by looking at Christ. And when I do that, it's very difficult to see others and focus so much on them that I could see a speck in their eye. (laughs) It's almost impossible. But when I don't look at myself, I could see every imperfection in everybody because I'm looking for it. That's how we're not supposed to be. So as we understand that we don't judge people and we separate the person from their acts, we also find that when we're focusing on ourselves, we're giving less attention to the people to put us in a position to less judge them anyway. And as we're doing that, we're going to be molded and conformed into the image of Christ. And instead of judging them, we're going to model for them how all men are to be if we're living as Christ would have us to be. And what they will see is something different in us. Not because we're trying to be self-righteous, 
but because we're being made righteous by God's spirit in us, molding us, conforming us to the image of his son. These lessons that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, they're called for us to respond through our actions. And when we respond through our actions, it makes us all look as Jesus did. So, we start working on that. And we get into a place to where people see that there's something different in us. And in the spirit of discernment, not judgment, we might be able to start to notice where people are not quite aligned with what God wants them to be. Not because we're necessarily looking for it, but because we have patterned ourselves so much so after Christ that we just see stuff that just sticks out. And then we could help. Then we would be in a better position to say, I notice that you do this, which is not quite right according to God's word. I can show you a better way. I'm not looking down on you. I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to help. That, I believe, is the spirit that Jesus is trying to get us to so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of our neighbor's eyes. To get there, we must know what Christ teaches. We must know the standard he's calling us to. And as we obtain, as we strive to meet that standard, we're going to be in a world where a bunch of people aren't even aiming for that. But we're so focused on aiming for Christ's likeness in our walks, in our attitudes, in our thinking, that that stuff doesn't even distract us. And then we get to the point to where we have removed almost all of our ungodliness out of our lives. We're reflecting Christ in this world. And because we're seeing things as God would have us to, we just notice the wrong. And in the spirit of love, we try to correct people so that they can receive the same salvation, grace, mercy, forgiveness that we received in Christ Jesus. Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful sermon. The more we listen to it, the more we recognize where we are not aligned with what Christ came to teach. But it's okay. Because by contemplating and reading and applying these principles that are taught, we find ourselves being molded more and more into Christ. But if we don't pay attention to the words that are given to us in Scripture, specifically in this sermon, we will be influenced by other things. And those things are primarily the world. And the world would call us to do everything Contrary to scripture, it would tell us to judge others. 
It would tell us to put ourselves on a pedestal and don't let nobody tell you that you're wrong. It would tell us to spot out the errors in everybody else's ways and to lambast them about it so that you can feel good about who you are because you are fine just the way you are. If that was the case, God would not have sent Jesus Christ to die for the sin of the world. But being that it's not the case, we choose to mold our will to God's. And we opt to take the words that Jesus Christ delivered in this sermon and apply them to our lives so that we're so molded by it that when we see that we're not living according to what Jesus says, we change. Because we know that there's value in that change. And there's no value in ourselves. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Or what will you give in exchange for your soul? Christ gave his life so that we can have our soul with him in heaven. Let's gain that and leave all this other stuff behind. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but we're almost through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's just interesting that as we have been going through this, that these Passages have been hitting on what's going on in the world or I'm just analyzing life through it because we've come at a point in history to where right now there's a a movement in society to where we're trying to correct the rights, I mean, correct the wrongs of the past, which I don't know, taking down a statue, it could or could not have some impact but what a lot of that stuff is doing is from both sides of the issue is you're throwing stones at the other side and they're not looking at the inconsistencies of their lives, of their views. Very opposite of what Jesus is calling us to. And if we would take a step back, see what's going on in this life, see what's going on in this world. And think through the lens of Christ, we'll see that the answers that are in this world pale in comparison to the answers in Christ. And the spirit of people that are divisive in this world is of Satan. Because all he's trying to do is get people to fight against each other, be distracted, and not really seek the very solutions to the problems that they have in this world in Christ. Because what's really going on in this world is a matter of the heart. People are not living with love. People are living in their sins. People are manifesting hate. People are being divisive. And they say they want unity. They say they want some type of reconciliation. They say that they want people to get on the same page. But that can only happen in Christ Jesus. And since we recognize that, let's show the world the better way. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. 
If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.